Hi, everybody. It's great to be with you again. I'm Dr. Kara Fitzgerald, and with me today, I have Dr. Scott Banks. Dr. Banks has been in the functional medicine community for years, and I count him among my functional medicine, actually, inspirations and friends. So Dr. Banks graduated from Fairleigh Dickinson. He's a doctor of chiropractic, and he received his degree from New York Chiropractic College. He's also a clinical nutritionist. Uh, he's a professor, actually teaching anatomy and physiology at Nassau Community College, and he's been in private clinical practice for over 30 years. Uh, he's an IFM certified practitioner. Congratulations on moving through that rather large exam, Dr. Banks. Thank you. Thank um, you. So he really takes a systems approach to treating uh, complex chronic disease, and we're going to talk about that, and we'll talk about what he's seeing in practice and so forth. Uh, he was also voted a great, a, one of America's greatest healers by the Naval Expo in 2009. Uh, he's been on Dr. Phil. He's lectured nationally for years. In fact, he does webinars for the Institute for Functional Medicine as well. And um, finally, you know, just in this year, in April, he published Natural Cures for Dummies. And I have a copy of the book on my desk, and I've been reading it now for the last week or so. And I just want to tell you, Scott, it's really an amazing accomplishment, this book, and I look forward to talking about it today. You've really put together um, an extremely user-friendly, um, easy-to-understand, uh, yet comprehensive manual on all things you know, functional, integrative, uh, you touch on a variety of healing methodologies, which I appreciate. So you get into Ayurveda, uh, you get into botanical medicine, um, osteopathy, chiropractic, functional medicine, of course, uh, and, and it's written for the layperson. I mean, so, so it's understandable, but there are pearls in this book for all of us. Um, so thank you. You know, thank you for this. I, I have enjoyed reading it. You know, I really I, pre I appreciate that. I know that you have written uh, books yourself through the Institute for Functional Medicine, and and uh, you know what it takes to get something like this done. Um, the Natural Cures for Dummies is a Wiley brand. Uh, they have uh, 1,600 different titles now. There's 1,601. Uh, there's about 10 dummies books that sell a minute in the United States, which is kind of blew me away. And their website gets about 22 million hits a month. Uh, so this is a great way to get our message of functional medicine and diet and lifestyle out to um, a, a very large uh, population around the world. Yes, absolutely. You know, when you gave me that factoid, I was with Scott at the Austin Institute for Functional Medicine annual conference a few weeks ago, and he gave me that factoid of how many books being sold a minute, did you say? Minute. Yeah, it's amazing. And I came home. I came back to my office, and I was looking for the various dummy volumes that I have on my shelf. And I know I've got biostatistics, and yeah, I've got a number of them. I've got my my a business plan for dummies. <laughs> but it's they, they true. They have uh, quite a bit. I mean, a lot of my book I did through uh, Dragon Dictate, and I had no idea how to use it, so I ordered a book on Dragon Dictate. And people like the. The, uh, the Dummies brand, because they know what they're going to get. You know, yeah. there's smart tips in there. You yeah. have the website content, and it's an easy-to-read format. So right. it's, it's, it's a, I think it's real good for doctors to use. And uh, 
as an IFM uh, doctor, and I always go to the uh, functional medicine conferences, a lot of my colleagues have bought the book, and they said they've been using it, you know, as, as a reference Absolutely. guide to, to help them with their patients when they have things that, uh, you know, maybe they need uh, another another uh, set of eyes looking at. There's no it's doubt about it. So it's, it's friendly, it's, it's, it's patient friendly, it's consumer friendly, but you cover such a breadth of information and, and with, you know, you touch on so many different, um, I know that at the core, this is a functional medicine book and I appreciate you pushing the functional medicine model forward. It's incredibly important, um, but you cover of so many different healing modalities and uh, you also cover an enormous variety of conditions, and it's, you know, it's, again, user-friendly stuff people can do at home. So, for instance, you have a, a section in Chapter 6 on mending methicillin-resistant Staph aureus, and then you also, you know, you cover herpes zoster. You cover how to um, appropriately prepare herbs. Um, you cover the safety behind using herbs. And then, you know, you give an overview on chiropractic, massage. I mean, so the breadth and the depth of it, Scott, is pretty amazing. I, you know, again, I really appreciate that. We, we, when we worked on the table of contents, we tried to encompass so many different um, uh, modalities yeah. into healing. Now, I, you know, I, I'm a chiropractor and I'm an Institute for Functional Medicine certified practitioner, but a lot of these other things I'm, I'm kind of a novice at, so I had to do a lot of research around the book to be able to, to bring that uh, to you know, to the publisher, and, and their their fact finding was pretty intense. Uh, they're going through the process of of editing and making sure that everything was the way you know is the way it's supposed to be. You know, every T was crossed, every I was dotted, and um, you know, it was a really tremendous amount of uh, editing that went into the book to make sure that everything that's in here is 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 true mm -hmm. and reference based. Yeah. Yeah, it is an enormous undertaking, having been in that, um, in that pond. So listen, let's jump into what you do know and talk about detox protocols. Uh, you want to give me a little bit of an overview on your perception of detoxification or need to do it, and then maybe some of the protocols that you're using and finding effective in practice? Sure. You know, as uh, just like you, as an Institute for Functional Medicine practitioner, and you teach, uh, you know, one of the, uh, the advanced practice modules, uh, People come in through so many different doors, you know, in, into our practice, and, and where do you start? And so, you know, I'll f have the patients fill out the adult medical questionnaire, mm -hmm. and the medical symptoms questionnaire, and, and when the people score relatively high and their diet is poor for such a long time and, and you just look at them and they just look toxic, I will decide to put them into a detox program. Mm -hmm. um, Wait, let me ask you, let me just interrupt you before you jump into the program. What, what are you flagged? I know the adult medical questionnaire you're using because I have some variation of that in my practice as well. And again, it's really functional medicine centric. And, um, but what's flagging you? What kind of information is flagging you towards detox? I, I think when it's uh, so many different things that are going on, mm, from right. gut issues, fatigue, uh, inability to gain weight, I mean, to, to, uh, to lose weight, uh, skin issues, uh, gas, bloating, uh, you know, you name it, just about everything. So they have so much different stuff, and I don't want to give them, you know, different uh, nutrients for this problem and, yes. and different nutrients for this problem. So the uh, first thing I'll do is I'll put them into a modified elimination diet and pull out all, you know, the things that are really bad, including, you know, gluten and dairy and, and 
processed foods and bad fats and, and sugar and then put them into a medical food. And we all know that all the top nutritional companies have, you know, good um, detox formulas. And you have to pick the ones that you want. I mean, I, I have a couple of my, my favorites. What kind of protein? And, what kind of protein do you like in your medical foods? You know, I have a combination of rice and pea protein. I uh-huh. think works pretty well for most patients. Uh, some people... You know, don't do well with rice, and so you can put them into a pea protein, or some people don't do well with pea, and you can put them into a rice protein, mm-hmm. but a hypoallergenic, um, you know, protein. So, of course, no soy, absolutely, right. that's off the list. And, uh, you know, whey is made from dairy, so that can give people, um, you know, a lot of problems also if they have any type of lactose intolerance or, or you know, sensitivity or food allergy to dairy. Right. So then I would use a rice and pea protein as, as the concentration uh, for the, the base of the protein. Yep. But then it's loaded with accessory nutrients that really assist in the detoxification process. You know, things like, you know, N-acetylcysteine and glutathione and, you know, um, um, elagic acid from watergrass and pomegranate and, and different nutrients that are going to support, you know, phase one and phase two uh, detoxification. So you've got them on a modified elimination, which, by the way, you cover in... Um, natural cures, and then you start a medical food. Are you giving them anything else or, or having them do any lifestyle stuff? Well, I'm usually doing a, a probiotic uh, with that, and, mm-hmm. and I have uh, my own private label. So there's a formula that I use called a crisis care uh, probiotic that I find to be very effective. It's in a sachet, and it's a, and it's a beefy powder with you know, you know, a couple of different really good strains and some uh, Saccharomyces boulardii in there as well. Oh, good. I just try to keep it pretty simple when I start them on a detox because if, I, if you do too much too fast, um, they rebel. Yeah, got it. So and, this you know, is... Yeah, you know their body might rebel, or it might be just be too much for them, and it's a lot for them just even with the diet uh, to make those changes because you know that food is addicting, and you know sometimes they can't control themselves, and so you know before I start getting into a lot of uh, testing, I'm just really trying to to clean up their diet. Yeah, um, I find that to be the most important thing. Mm-hmm. You know, last year's symposium was uh, functional perspectives on food, the ultimate upstream medicine and that's really that's really very very true right you know i don't know if Hippocrates says let food be your medicine let medicine be your food but we know in the functional medicine arena and a lot of doctors that are in the nose that you know you're not going to get better no matter what nutrients you take if you're still eating you know your ho-hos and ding-dongs and yeah got it got it so most folks that come in to see you you're going to have them do what sounds like this relatively gentle detox protocol you know, not everybody. There's there are some patients that I will start with a detox, and other patients I'll kind of go into a gastrointestinal yeah. restoration program. Um, I would say most people, that's where you're going to start. And I know, like you, if you had, you know, 50 functional medicine doctors in a room and you presented different cases to them, uh, most of us would start in the gastrointestinal tract. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree with you. Now, um, do you do any lifestyle stuff with with folks, or is it, it like would you recommend that they exercise or get sweating or you know dry skin brushing? I mean, do you do you do any additional things at this early stage to support detox activities, or well, are you I keeping it simple? To, you know, at least to move mm-hmm. their body, uh, to exercise uh, lightly. Uh, to walk if they have access to a sauna, I, I would highly recommend that, an uh, infrared sauna uh, being the best at about 15 to 20 minutes, three times a week. You know, I practice in uh, Long Island. There is a, um, a place right up the street that has uh, a far infrared sauna in it that, you know, 
people can go and pay and, and use it for a short period of time. Oh, that's it's convenient. Actually, it's, a, it's a great service to have. Yeah, very convenient. Um, okay. And then, of course, the, the skin brushing, but the, really the most important thing is to really follow the diet and then, you know, get them on a good uh, medical food and some, you know, good detox nutrients that remove solvents and, and yeah. help remove heavy metals and, and support the gastrointestinal tract at the same time. Got it. You know, on that note, you do have, again, a nice section in the book on cleaning up uh, the home. So obviously just talking to them about exposure sources, be it through, you know, pesticides and foods or just, you know, some changes, some basic changes one can make in the home. You, you cover it nicely in Natural Cures for Dummies. Thank you. I appreciate that. And there's a, a real good test. Actually, um, uh, Cyrex Labs has their array, um, I believe it's 11, mm-hmm. that's the chemical sensitivity. Mm-hmm. And it looks at, you know, things, household environments, such as, you know, um, formaldehyde and aflatoxin and heavy metals, um, flame retardant, you know, that's sprayed on people's clothing, on mattresses, on couches, and to see if that's a contributory factor as well. Yep. But it's tough time sometimes to get the testing right from the get-go. I, you know, it's, it's kind of impossible to have all your ducks in a row uh, before you embark on a program. So we just start on a program. Yeah, I got it. I we, got it. Makes sense. It tot- and, and then we could do the testing later on. Yep. And, you know, the testing could be expensive, but patients do like doing that. And I do practice in New York State where doing some of the functional testing is restrictive. Yeah, that's right. You know, I know. So my, my patients have to go to New Jersey, which is about an hour and a half, uh, from where I practice, but they'll go. Yes, I understand. You know, to, to get some of that, uh, some of that Cyrex testing uh, performed. Right. Legally. Right, right. Yeah, New York has an interesting board of health, but that's a whole nother conversation. Um, yeah, don't get me going on I that. Won't. Because it's, it's, <laughs> only, it's only gotten worse over the last couple of years. It hasn't gotten better. Yeah. And uh, it's crazy. I mean, you know, you can, just a perfect example, we just came back from, um, the conference, and it was all on genomics. So yes. 23andMe, Dr. Yusuf Elliman gave a great talk on 23andMe. So I, I ordered the kit as soon as I came back. And as soon as I put in New York, it said, oh, you know, you're in New York. Now, we'll send you the kit, but you're going to have to sign an affidavit that the test has to be performed. You have to collect your saliva in another state and ship it from another state, anywhere other than New York. Yes, I know. I know because I'm Connecticut and I'm, you know, shouting distance from the border, so I have a lot of New York patients. And I worked in the, you know, in the lab for a long time, as you know, and we spent a good deal of time providing, you know, the scientific rationale for some of the tests that we wanted approved in New York. I mean, we sent them stacks of evidence. But let's not digress too far down this frustrating. No, that's not. And talk, I, I just like to say it's money, stupidity, egos, and politics. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's true. It was interesting. So talk to me right. about talk to me about genomics. I know that that's another area. As you you know, just segueing from your attempt to get your twenty three in me, but talk to me about genomics and what you're thinking about it. You know, big picture, and then. Um, well, and of course, this was our topic at the IFM annual symposium. But so, big picturing it for me, but then also how you're thinking about it with regard to patient care. Well, you know, I've been using genomics as much as I have been able to in New York, and I find it interesting. Now, we know that the genes load the gun, but the environment pulled the trigger. Right. And we know that, but patients don't know that. Patients still think that their diseases are deterministic by their genes. 
And there, there are some, but, but for the most part is that we've learned that your genes don't necessarily cause the disease. It's how you treat them. It's the epigenetics, the things that happen above the genes, which is your diet and yes. your lifestyle. Right. So I look at it for patients like, well, you know, we, you have this genetic variant. I don't even like to call it a genetic mutation because, you know, MTHFR has now, you know, got its own national stardom um, mm-hmm. out there, and people have that, and they think that it's the end of the world. Exactly. And I have to kind of yes. explain to them that it's not. You know, we like right. to look at homocysteine, of course, with that. But then we can genetic, we can uh, nutritionally modulate that genetic expression, yes. and that's what I'm really trying to explain to patients. So I will take out some of the charts from some of the better slides that, you know, I've accumulated over decades of doing this and explain these different uh, variants to the patients, whether it be around, you know, glutathione as transferase or around uh, the cytochrome P450 pathways mm-hmm. or around methylation. So, you know, if you're an APOE4 genotype, we know that's sort of like, you know, 50% of patients that have Alzheimer's disease have those genes, but just because you have the genes doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get Alzheimer's disease. Right, right. So... In yeah. Dr. Perlmutter's book, the, the Better Brain book, which was in 2004, he has a quote in the beginning of the book, and it says, the time to fix the roof is when the sun is shining, and by John F. Kennedy. And it's, I find that to be very appropriate. That means you want to take care of yourself before you come down with a, uh, a, a disease. Right. You know, with, with, with diet and lifestyle. And we now know, you know, there are certain things that should be pulled out of people's diets, like, you know, gluten. Yes. And, 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 and insecticides and pesticides and other toxic foods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amen to that. I, um, you know, it was interesting when I, we were covering some of the common um, genetic variations, as you say, or single nucleotide polymorphisms at IFM in the immune module, um, you know, looking at the N-acetyl uh, transferases and... and um, glutathione as transferase and, you know, COMT and, you know, the cytochromes, et cetera, et cetera, and MTHFR, of course. You know, the, the really, ultimately, as you say, you know, the environment is the big lever- area of leverage. Um, and and I, w- I, I would find that my ultimate take-home for most, for, for my lecturing, for my slides, but also for my patients is, you know, it's really a lifestyle management, and they're all, and, and we're doing very similar things. Now, sometimes we might see a biomarker like an elevated homocysteine along with MTHFR, and we may go towards B12 or, um, you know, and folate, methylated folate or some sort of a natural folate, but, but really we're looking at lifestyle, you know, reducing, you know, toxic exposures, as you've just said, you know, eating right, moving our bodies. So just fundamental stuff that we're recommending to all our patients anyway, regardless of their collection of, of genetic single nucleotide polymorphisms. I mean, really, a lot of these SNPs are going to guide us back to these same lifestyle changes. There's some, right. you know, in some cases, we're going to get in there and be a little bit more specific, but big picturing it, it's really healthy lifestyle, I think, at the end of the day. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So it's just a part of the puzzle, mm-hmm. you know, your genetic uniqueness. And then if you know what your genetic variants are, then you can modify your yes. gene expression through, you know, the proper lifestyle intervention, which is clean living. Yeah, <laughs> that's know? exactly and, and right. The, and the right type of nutrients. But you get right. those right type of nutrients from clean living. Yes, that's exactly you know? right. And I do have, you know, I've got a number of patients. Patients are coming to us far more educated, you know, really 
you know, every year there's, they're coming more and more savvy around this. And many folks come to me with a 23andMe already done, and they've already diagnosed themselves as having significant methylation defects, et cetera. And, and just like you alluded to, you know, a lot of it, I'm talking them off the ledge and saying, you know, that's a, that's a slice of the pie, and it may be a very thin slice. I mean, we'll look at biomarkers to see whether there's evidence for it being um, more significant. But, you know, really, it's not, uh, there's a rationality around it that I think we need to bring into the dialogue, you know. Right, and that was the big takeaway also from, from the conference, I think, is that, um, you know, your genes load the gun, but your environment pulls the trigger, and mm-hmm. that has to be expressed to the patients, and that's, you know, the science of epigenetics, which, you know, Jeff Bland has alluded to for well over a decade already. Yes, that's right. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so let's go back to this this pretty cool book of yours. Um, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you say, check it out for whatever ails you. And um, is there, you know, as I said, it's content dense. Do you want to give me uh, uh, any more of a snapshot, or is there a particular area in here that's near and dear to your heart, or you know, eye openers for you? You know, I love uh, neurological support. I've always been a big mm-hmm. doctor, a big fan of Dr. Perlmutter. I've been listening to him for 20 years, and I try to incorporate what I've learned from him in the book really mm-hmm. around uh, preventing and reversing neurodegenerative disorders using what we do in functional medicine as lifestyle intervention. But the way that it is, I'll give a certain ailment. I will talk about what that ailment is, a traditional medical approach for that, and then more of a functional medicine approach, and then the top nutrients and herbs that I would use for that particular condition. And so in the book, there are 170 different conditions in there that I do exactly that. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I run the gamut. Like you said, there's a lot of different things in there. But the neurological section, uh, the cardiovascular section that I've learned so much through IFM and Dr. Uh, the teachings of Mark Houston and, and dealing with cholesterol issues and hypertension and, and how to do that from more from a, from a uh, you know, an upstream medicine approach using, you know, uh, nutrition as the, uh, the first target approach. Right. Absolutely. You know, so, so, and, and then, the, of course, the section on uh, diabetes and metabolic syndrome and weight management, uh, that's, uh, you know, one of my, my favorite areas as well. And then as a chiropractor, you know, musculoskeletal um, uh, things to deal with instead of, you know, just dealing with, uh, you know, taking pharmaceutical drugs. You know, I use spinal decompression in my practice, and that's been a, you know, a, a godsend for dealing with patients with this problem. So it's helped so many people from preventing, preventing surgeries. What, tell me what it is. Give us an overview on it. Um, you know, there are several high-end decompression tables on the market. I have a, a table called the Intalgic Track, and the reason why I went with the tables is that I can do uh, cervical decompression, lumbar decompression that articulates, so I can put the patient into different postures. Mm-hmm. And so a posture that is painful actually becomes therapeutic on the table because I will decompress at that point. So the table... We could set it up. You're sort of in a sitting position, then the table goes back. Mm-hmm. Your head is above the parallel. But I can put you into different ranges of motion. So I can do left and right rotation, left and right lateral flexion, flexion and extension, and a combination of those. And so I can hit the disc right in wow. that spot. And actually what you do is you create like a vacuum effect inside the disc, and mm-hmm. you're able to pull the disc material back in and also help to rehydrate a disc. Yeah. 
I'm going to so, come over. I really want to try it. It sounds like it feels yeah, great. Yeah, you're welcome. Does you know, be... just, uh, you can take a boat. You <laughs> you know, I, if I look out my window, I can see Connecticut. <laughs> I'll take a boat over. It, does it, feel, it sounds like it feels really good, too. It feels really good. Most of the time, listen, nothing, patients they come on the table are usually surgical candidates, and uh, some people are going to need surgery. Mm. But, if, you know, 8 out of 10 people that get on the table do really well if they do it correctly. You know, you want to get some momentum with the table. You start slow. You know, you don't want to do too much too fast. Um, and you want to kind of build up. But you need to do it often. It's like working out. You know, mm-hmm. if you do it once a week, you're not going to get great results. But if you do it three times a week, you'll get much better results. Well, certainly a good option to, um, you know, to give a very earnest and dedicated trial to before going for surgery, that's for sure. Absolutely. You know, and, and like you, we're usually patients, uh, the doctors of last resort. And right. Patients that come to me, they've been to 10 different doctors already, often more they're pretty well educated. They come in with a notebook of stuff and, and 23andMe and different types of testing that they've done. But nobody's able really to kind of, you know, uh, fill, in the, fill in the spaces or connect the dots. And that's really what I try to do yeah. uh, with the patients. And it takes some time. And most of the time we're pretty successful. Sometimes we're not. But for the most part, I think if patients really, you know, follow through on the recommendations, they change the diet, they take a couple of the key nutrients, um, you know, from the better manufacturers, mm-hmm. you know, because somebody will go to CVS and buy something that's not the same, even though the label might look the same. Right. So you want to be in charge of that and, um, you know, make sure that, you know, they're taking the top quality nutrients and they'll get great results. Yeah. Yeah. Very good point, Scott. Thank you. Listen, I just wanted to go back to, you know, the section on neuroconditions from your book. <laughs> You brought that up as being a section that was really near and dear to you, and you brought up um, ApoE4 and Alzheimer and so forth. And can you give me what are I mean? What are some of your, you know, your basic recommendations and interventions going to be for uh, for somebody at risk for dementia? Right. Okay. So again, the the time to fix the roof is when the sun is shining. Yeah. And I will tell patients that I've learned from Dr. Perlmutter that Alzheimer's disease is a preventable disease of aging of which there is no cure. So we want to control a couple of things, and the first thing is we want to control inflammation, mm-hmm. you want to control glycation, and you want to control detoxification and, um, and how your body really handles sugar. So okay. the first thing is inflammation. So, you know, we look at C-reactive protein or uh, ESR and other inflammatory markers, and we get patients into an anti-inflammatory type diet. Mm-hmm. That's really one of the most important things. Um, is that is your anti-inflammatory diet, I'm sorry to interrupt, but is it relatively, it's, is it going to be like a modified elimination? Yes. Okay. Okay, keep going. An anti-inflammatory type diet is a modified elimination diet because all those foods that we pull out can be inflammatory. Okay. Okay, good. And then there's, then there's good food testing that I've done with either, um, you know, Genova or uh, Metametrics or um, uh, Cyrex testing or Alcat that really kind of looks at foods that can trigger that inflammatory immune response yep. in patients. So clean anti-inflammatory. We now know that glycation mm-hmm. is a, a risk factor and, you know, Alzheimer's disease is uh, type 3 diabetes. Right. Maybe some people have not heard that. Maybe a lot of the doctors have, but some of the lay people have not known that. So hemoglobin A1C becomes really very important. There's a uh, archives of neurology from 2006 that I there's a picture that I use that shows that the higher your hemoglobin A1C, and that's at 5.9 uh, to 9.0, you 
your percentage of annual brain shrinkage is very high as compared to somebody that's 4.8 to 5.2. Wow. Okay. So where where we, is that your is that your range then for folks 4.8 to 5.2? 4.8 to 5.2 is really the ideal yes. level to get somebody's hemoglobin A1C at. Um, do I see that often? No. Most I people know. are 5, 5.7, 5.8, 6.0, 6.2. So that becomes really the most important thing. So, that, you know, they're eating a bagel for breakfast in the morning or they're having, uh, you know, special K cereal or, or a muffin or something like that, and, they're, you know, they're, they're starting their day off with dessert. Right. And, uh, you know, just to put them into a medical food that's high protein, um, good quality protein, it's got really good fats in it, and very low in sugar, of course, is mm-hmm. a better way to go. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, all the, the, the great nutrients, especially things like coconut oil and then DHA from cod liver oil and phosphatidylserine and, you know, the, the NRF2 activators, things that increased nuclear regulatory factor two that controls inflammation and detoxification in the brain. Uh, it's very important things like green tea and, um, you know, resveratrol, pterostilbene from resveratrol. But one of the most important things is caloric restriction. Yes. You know, and so how much caloric restriction would somebody really need? And what the research really shows is probably about 400 calories a day, but which is very interesting. But when you eat wheat, you end up consuming probably another 400 calories a day. All right. So just by pulling patients off of gluten, whether they test positive for it or not, um, that's a message I really try to get across to people that consuming gluten, wheat, whether they test positive or negative, is really just not a very good food for them to be consumed. So in other words, you can have an, you know, two uh, identical um, caloric, calorically matched diets and one will, and they will behave differently in the body. So the uh, anti-inflammatory modified elimination uh, is going to speak differently to the physiology than will a high grain, high sugar diet. So they're not ultimately uh, calorically identical. So you're, so what you're saying to me, Scott, is that you, how your your uh, brand of caloric restriction is again getting people onto a good anti-inflammatory diet rather than formally reducing calorie intake? Is that true? Well, what I, what I did want to say, maybe I didn't come across, is that when you pull gluten out of the diet, uh-huh. you end up consuming about 400 less calories a day. It's just you're not... Oh, hungry. interesting. When, when you eat wheat, when you eat gluten, your blood sugar spikes up. It's very high in the glycemic index. Your blood yeah, yeah. sugar spikes up, and then it crashes, and then yeah. you consume more food. Right, got now, it. Food scientists about 25 years ago discovered that. Was there a conspiracy somewhere saying, hey, let's put wheat in all the food, and this way people will eat more and we'll make more money? <laughs> but I don't know if that's necessarily what happened, but if you look at enriched wheat flours and everything. Right. And so when you eat wheat, you end up eating more foods. And we know that one of the best things for turning on NRF2 pathways, the nuclear regulatory factor 2 pathway, and preventing Alzheimer's disease by 
by turning off the genes that control inflammation and turning on the genes that help you detoxify is that caloric restriction is up there in, in turning on that NRF2. Yes, big time. Actually, very much so. And there was, a, there was a really interesting piece of research that came out not too long ago out of Yale, actually, earlier this year, showing that the ketone body, beta-hydroxybutyrate, is anti-inflammatory. Sure. And, and, and similarly, turn, turning off the inflammasome. Um, re- remarkable. So if you can achieve a little bit of ketosis, which would be via, you know, some you, you could use, certainly use a modest cal- calorie restriction or you can lower carbohydrates, which you're going to do if you pull out grains. And, yeah, it's potently anti-inflammatory. Right. Now, the, keto- the, the ketogenic diet is the diet uh, that I would really give patients with any type of neurological disorder, whether it be Parkinson's or, or MS or, or early-on dementia. And by eating coconut oil uh, regularly actually has that effect as if you were to fast because it releases those MCTs, those medium-chain triglycerides, uh, without fasting. You know, the human brain is designed to utilize fat, um, but we don't generally because we're consuming too much carbohydrate. So by removing, keeping your carbohydrate level down to a minimum, maybe 25, 30 grams a day, will put you into a trace ketogenic-type diet. It's like consuming uh, coconut oil on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's powerful on a, you know in a variety of mechanisms. So thank you for that. Now, is there anything? You, I mean, you've covered quite a bit. One can do towards um, dementia prevention. Anything else you want to add? Well, we definitely want to control inflammation. So you know, mm-hmm. curcumin is a very powerful anti-inflammatory, and that would be uh, part of somebody's diet. I think that that's real, very important. Also, we, you know, we look at viruses. So when I do initial blood work on patients, um, I will always do a viral load panel. And so we look at beta amyloid, is known as an AMP or an antimicrobial peptide, and it's actually your body's innate response to a foreign invader that has entered the brain. So it's important to keep you know viruses at bay, whether you need a pharmaceutical antiviral or use uh, homeopathics, um, you know, Desbio makes uh, great homeopathic remedies that I like to use in my practice. I, I don't, you know, write prescriptions as a chiropractor that, you know, really try to keep uh, the viruses at bay. I use proline-rich polypeptides from colostrum. I find that to be a very powerful immune modulator. Mm-hmm. And the same mechanisms that create leaky gut create the leaky blood-brain barrier. Yes. And so we look at things that, you know, release zonulin. And so we know, again, wheat releases the enzyme called zonulin, which causes leaky gut. That also causes leaky blood-brain barrier. And so Cyrex Array 2 would look at that. It would look at zonulin, uh, the enzyme that causes leaky gut, oculin, yeah. which is the glue that holds those uh, tight junctions in the cells together. And then you would look at LPS, or lipopolysaccharides from the gram-negative bacterial cell walls of dead bacteria that translocate into the systemic circulation as a sign of leaky gut or leaky blood-brain barrier. Yeah. That's, it, so listen, just going back to the um, antimicrobial peptides that beta amyloid is, um, so it's, sort of, it's, a, it's actually a, the body's attempt to restore the homeostasis, um, and you talked a lot about viruses, but then you shot back over to the gut, speaking about intestinal permeability and, and um, you know, leaky 
blood-brain barrier too. And well, and you talked about lipopolysaccharide too. So obviously, you think disruption to the microbiome is is linked to dementia as well. I mean, right. Go ahead. Right, exactly. So there's this whole, you know, gut-brain connection that's really, you know, blasted into the literature over the last, uh, you know, couple years uh, with the work of Dr. Alessio Fasano and mm-hmm. Dr. Hachifalu and um, other scientists. I, I know that Dr. Perlmutter has a, his Integrative Healthcare Symposium in, in uh, October in Florida, all dealing with the microbiome that I will be at. Um, and I, there's a Derek McFabe that we saw speak years back at IFM um, around changes in the gut flora, um, increases in propionic acid, and then causing oh, yeah. autistic type behavior, which was like wild. Yeah. You know, but that's this right. is where the research is really going now. So, mm-hmm. gut brain. And that's why, you know, as a functional medicine doctor, people come in from all different avenues because we can handle so many different things by thinking systems biology. You know, in the regular medical community, everybody's in their own individual little silos. You know, the neurologist deals with, you know, the brain, and the, and the pulmonologist is just going to deal with the bellows, and the gastroenterologist is going to deal with the plumbing. But they're all connected. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so what goes on in the, in the gut affects the brain. And you have to think that way, and you kind of have to be able to connect the dots. So, you know, if a, if a patient's coming in and the biggest issue is, you know, somebody's bringing their parents in and they, they're showing signs of dementia and Alzheimer's disease, you know, I, I need to address the whole body. I need to look at their diet. I need to look at their gut and then some, maybe some target nutrients uh, for neurological health. Give but me... it, would, it would all include removing gluten found in wheat. Yes. <laughs> as the most inflammatory and very damaging uh, food that's out there, whether it's organic, whether it's stone ground, whether it's whole wheat, it's all wheat and it's all causing destruction to multiple metabolic pathways in in everybody's body, whether you perceive them or not. Yeah, okay. I got it. Um, Give me some of the top foods that you're going to recommend an individual consume who's either presenting with dementia or at risk of developing it or at early stages. What, what, is their, what is their plate going to look like? Well, you know, I'm a big fan of good fat. Yeah, I hear <laughs> you it. You know, so avocados are great and nuts, you know, organic nuts, um, good quality fish, you know, good wild Alaskan sockeye salmon is a great fish. You know, people have to be able to, to know that. I mean, if they go get farmed fish and it's fed fish color and it's not the same creature. Mm-hmm. So good. And so part of my plan, believe it or not, is I get people to, um, there's a buying club on Long Island where we get all our food from a small Amish farm in Lancaster, Pennsylvania that's hooked up with, you know, wild, wild Alaskan fish farmers. Oh, nice. Not the farmers, but wild Alaskan fish. Mm-hmm. And so great quality food, a lot of colors of the rainbow, a lot of vegetables. Mm-hmm. Any, Organic, particular, of any particular standout veggies? Um, you know, kale is, 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 is a super one. Um, just all different colors. So, you know, eggplant and, and zucchini and, and squash and, 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 and bean sprouts. Not, I'm sorry, broccoli sprouts is uh, probably the best vegetable because mm-hmm. it's very high in, in sulfurophane glucosinolates, or SGS, yes. which has been known to turn on that NRF2 pathway. So that's a great food to put on people's plates is those broccoli sprouts right. Right. that you can get in Stop and Shop or in a, in a local supermarket. 
So that becomes a, a great uh, food. But I get people to go for the colors of the rainbow. So mm-hmm. we want, you know, mushrooms, and we want, you know, the purples and tans and the yellows and the greens and, and the red and the orange and all different colors. But with a real emphasis on, on purchasing organic because we, yes. we want to keep them off the chemicals, especially, well, we want to keep everybody off the chemicals. There's no, who wakes up in the morning and says, I want to eat Roundup? Yeah. And I know it's it's pretty remarkable. I mean, the data are just horrendous coming out around that. Um, right, but it, it's vegetable there, you know, consumption. Yes, I was just in just in the market the other day, and you know, you had your choice of conventionally grown or organic. I mean, why why you choose? It was just yep. you want the organic. Yep, yep, yep. It's it, very straightforward. Listen, I want to just go back to wheat and gluten because I mean, you're presenting it as a toxin, you know, plain and simple. So I just, I, a, I want your thoughts on, and you mentioned specifically enriched wheat flour. So that's going to have synthetic folic acid, folic acid in it. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on folic acid well, versus this is, natural. This is my, my feeling. You know, your body has to be able to convert folic acid into folate. Mm-hmm. If you have the MTHFR genotype, whether it be either allele, the 677C or the 1298T, uh, you might not do that well. And so you're better off with folic acid in a better utilizable form as 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate. Um, and that's the more utilizable form because if you have the enzyme um, variant, the MTHFR variant, then you will not necessarily do that well. And then folic acid can actually uh, probably do more harm than good or it's not really going to work the way that you want it to work. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. All right. So um, there's, I know there's a little bit of controversy around that. If you give somebody a lot of folic acid, then the, you'll drive that pathway. But, you know, keep an eye on homocysteine. All the better nutritional companies will give you folate now in the form of 5-methyl tetrahydrofolic acid or folate, 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate. And the same thing with methylcobalamin. And you'll see, you know, pyridoxine as pyridoxal 5-phosphate. And then, you know, if you can't really push that, I like using SAMe. And then you can check the COMT as uh-huh. well on on um, the 23andMe test, the COMT. Uh-huh. And then there's another lab called Genomind, uh, which I have been able to do in New York, and then right. I do use around uh, neurological and brain health. Yeah, that's Genomind. right. Genomind is a good and lab. That's a, and that's been a real good product uh, that I've been able to use in the practice here. That's well, I think they're, great results. I think they're actually a New York lab, if I'm not mistaken, aren't they? I think that that's one of the issues. I think if the lab is set up in New York, if they actually have a, a plant, a facility, then the testing can, I think it bypasses a lot of the problems. That's really interesting. <laughs> I think. Uh, don't quote me on that. But as far as wheat goes. Yeah, go, right, well, I want to, let me throw this out to you before, and then fold this into your answer. I mean, we didn't have um, certainly the same degree of wheat-associated complications, you know, 30, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. That's true. So I, but I mean, I just want to get, I want to get your take on that and say whatever else you want. Go for it. Okay. So I think what's happened when I was a kid, which was a long time ago, you know, (laughs) wheat was not, um, wheat is not genetically modified. Wheat is hybridized. And so they meet, they meet plants together. And so every time they do that, they create new proteins that are new to nature molecules. And so wheat has been hybridized about 50,000 times. You take the combination of wheat. Now, according to Dr. Fasano, every human being, when you eat wheat, you release zonulin. Zonulin causes leaky gut. It causes your, the tight junctions to break open. 
Now, a lot of people will have that. Your body will treat it like a bacterial infection. You'll heal it. You won't even know you had it. 1% of the population will manifest themselves as celiac disease. For every one patient that has celiac disease that manifests itself in the gut, eight of those people will have symptoms that are extra-intestinal. Mm-hmm. So the misconception that celiac disease is a disorder of the intestines is really um, a misconception that's still you know, thought in, in mainstream medicine these days, in most of the medical community, is that celiac disease, you're going to have inflammatory bowel, you're going to have diarrhea, you're going to have bloody stools. But you can have no, none of that, and you could still have celiac disease. Right. And then about anywhere 18 to 40% of the population I've seen is non-celiac gluten-sensitive. Now, the regular testing for celiac disease where you look at anti-galidian antibodies, anti-endomyceal antibodies, transglutaminase, and deamidated glutamine, will only really pick up people that have full-blown villus atrophy or, right. or celiac disease. It misses a lot of people. Yes. Now, I do that test anyway because I figure while there's a needle in the patient's arm, my models will see it because if it comes back positive, then it's really positive. Yes. So the Cyrex Array 3 looks at 19 different wheat peptides. It's a much better test. But not everybody's going to do that. Now, some people need to see it in color, so if they get the test results, they come back. Then they know that, hey, I shouldn't be eating this, or the foods that cross-react with wheat or mimic wheat in the body, the Array 4. But I still put patients off of wheat, whether the tests come back positive or negative. It's very high in the glycemic index. Yes. It's very high in sugar, so it's going to feed you know, pathogenic bacteria in the gut. It's inflammatory, and gluten is very hard to break down. And so I kind of look at the combination of gluten and then the combination of genetically modified foods, really changing the microbiome mm-hmm. in the gut, leading to increased intestinal permeability and the, the rise in autoimmune disorders. Yep. And so it's kind of all connected. You know, it's not just maybe just one thing. It could be the perfect storm of gluten and GMOs. Right, 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 right. You know? Or gluten and, 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 and pesticides and, you know, the glyphosates. And yes, absolutely. Listen, do you have the pa- your patients after they've, well, like, let's, let's say that you've, confer- you've ruled out celiac using celiac serology, but you're still putting them on a gluten-free diet. Are you going to have them at any time? challenge with gluten to determine how their body reacts to it, or are you, are you wanting them off for life? You know what? If I can keep them off of for life and they stay off of for life, good for them. <laughs> uh-huh. But like most people, it'll sneak back in periodically. Yes. Because, of, you know, they went to somebody's birthday party and there was a piece of cake, or, you know, they were out and there was just the only thing that we'd eat was pizza and they had a pizza. Right. You know, uh, Yom Kippur comes around once a year, and the bagels look really good with the lox and cream cheese, and somebody will end up eating that. And, and they will be able to notice how they feel as a result of eating that. Right. Hopefully. Right. The symptoms might, manifest, might not manifest themselves immediately, but, you know, most patients, I get them to journal their food. Not all of them do it, but some of them do do it, and then they should be able to put the two and two together. And then a, a light should go off in their head going, hey, maybe I shouldn't eat this thing. I agree with you. I do think that a... That a well, in my practice, I actually do it very structured, you know, and we have them pay attention and we give them a tracking matrix for symptoms. But you're right. And, and you know, many, 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 many people do manifest, you know, a variety of extra intestinal symptoms. 
Sure, and that what? could be, you know, skin issues, joint yeah. issues, brain fog, yes. headaches. Common, common, right, common. Listen. Absolutely. Talk to me about the kinds of cases you're seeing in practice. What kind of patients you know, are You know, I have um, a very varied practice. I see a lot of people with a lot of different things. That's, you know, as, as I'll quote Mark Hyman, you know, I call myself a holistic doctor because people come in with a whole list of problems, <laughs> you know. That's funny. Now, for people who haven't heard that before, I always get a laugh out of that. But if they heard it before, then it's not They've so grown. But, <laughs> but it's really true. So, you know, uh, get, a lot of gastrointestinal issues, a lot of, you know, uh, ulcerative colitis, uh, Crohn's, irritable bowel syndrome, and then people will just like gas and bloating. But then a lot of people with fatigue, you know, uh-huh. chronic fatigue, and then autoimmune issues, especially a lot of autoimmune thyroid. Yes. Some Absolutely. neurological issues like uh, Parkinson's and MS. A lot of kids with some behavioral issues. Um, what else? Weight, you know, a lot of diabetics, uh, insulin resistance, uh, metabolic syndrome type patients. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, pretty much that. You know, people that are overweight, uh, fatigue, gas and bloating, Hormone type issues as well too. You know, guys with low testosterone or women with you know low estrogen and progesterone. Um, you know, pretty much just about anything. Yes. Um, I know they they kind of tell you that maybe you want to you know get a niche for yourself, and I've I've thought about uh, doing that. But people come in with a whole host of issues, and mm-hmm. as a functionally medicine trained doctor, yes, uh, and we start thinking upstream and start thinking systems biology, you know, we can handle a lot of different things. Right. You know, as long as it's not an acute care thing that requires medical intervention where they should be in a, in a hospital setting. Yes. Something like that. That's interesting. Yeah, no, I hear you. I mean, I, I describe myself as a functional medicine generalist. I mean, I get a lot of allergy because I teach on that quite a bit, and I enjoy working with folks suffering from allergic disease. But, yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm a generalist as well. We're, um, we're both super generalists. Yeah. I mean, and, and you're, well, when we go way upstream, I mean, you know, we've got amazing leverage points in working with diet, working with, you know, making sure nutrients are adequate, obviously treating gut, et cetera. I mean, it's just the, the, the effects are far and re- far, far reaching on the web. You know, absolutely, and and I find the diet to be just by changing people's breakfast, yeah, and getting them to do a medical food in the morning for breakfast. That you know, you can kind of load up. I mean, I'll take a shake, and we'll throw some colostrum in it, and some greens, and some fiber, and some probiotic. They might mix five things together, but they just made themselves a super cocktail that was a world different from the breakfast that they were either not consuming at all, or that was all carbohydrate and remove gluten out of the diet and give them a couple of key nutrients. Yes. And you see great things happen. Yes. You know, where joint, where people lose, uh, I mean, yesterday I had a guy come in, and he's been, you know, doing some work with me for a long period of time. He was a, a, a decompression client that also became a nutritional client and still does decompression. But we did his uh, body composition analysis yesterday, and he lost, like, you know, seven pounds of fat, mm-hmm. and he put on, like, five pounds of muscle. And that was a, that's a dramatic it's change. That's impressive. Very. The, the weight didn't change much, right. but his body composition, and if you look at him, just like he, he, you could just see that he's, he's just glowing. Yes. And this is what I see with patients that come in that, that are following the recommendations. They're, they're glowing. Mm-hmm. You know, they just look a lot healthier because it, it might, it, it's a combination of things. Well, some people might say, well, you give them so much stuff, you know, how, how do you know what's working? What's the bottom, the bottom line is that the patient's doing better. And 
you know, Sidney Baker's, uh, you know, the, the four-tack rule. You know, you got to hit it from multiple angles. You got to remove all the tacks, right. not just one tack. Right, right, from the from the painful chair. Listen, what are you doing? You've mentioned weight loss a number of times and how you enjoy working with um, folks who need to lose weight. What are you thinking about with regard to weight loss resistance? What are the what are what are some of the um, What's the approach that you're going to take? Give me some pearls for that. Well, you know, that. that brings us back to toxicity. Yes. All right. That we, that we started the uh, the podcast off with is that, you know, patients are often doing that. They're, they're loaded with toxins, and, and they are insulin resistant. Um, their diet is poor. So, again, you know, we really want to change the diet up. A couple of key nutrients would really work the best, get them to start moving their body, exercise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've been pretty successful getting people to lose you know, wait, if they're going to do the work. Yes. You know, they got to do the work, and that means they have to journal, they have to keep a, 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 a list of their foods and what they're eating every single day. You know, some people start off with that, and then they stop doing it, and we all know that patients that journal do much better. And so they might be thinking they're eating well, but they're really not eating that well. So you have people track their food daily? Yes. They write it down. And, and through the IFM tool chest, the toolkit, um, in, in, uh, you have those, that beautiful page now, they just came out with the new toolkit that gets them to, you know, write down what they eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and, and see if they're getting all the different colors of the rainbow in. Yes. And then if they're exercising, and their hydration, and their stress levels, and their sleep, you know, all those things play a role. So it might not necessarily just be calories, you know, it, you know, you got to look at people's stress levels. And, yes. And, you know, are they sleeping enough? Because, right. You know, if you're not sleeping... Then your cortisol's awake, and if your cortisol's awake, you block insulin, and then you're you know you're not using your sugar really for fuel. You're getting fatter. That's right. That's right. Are you? What about your macronutrient ratios? I mean, are you going? I know you love fat, so people are going on more fat. Are you increasing protein, lowering carbs, or changing the carb con- quality to you know veggies and certain fruits? You know, I mean, that's what such are you a doing? Great, that's such a great question. It it what I have playing in my reception room right now is the 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 um, last year at the conference at the functional medicine conference, Lauren Curdain, who wrote all the paleo books. Mm-hmm. And then Mimi Guarneri, who yeah. uh, talked about the Mediterranean. Yes. And then Joel Furman about the plant-based diet. Right. And then and then and then Chris Carter, who's from Stanford, an epidemiologist, was they were, had a panel discussion. I know. I, w- I remember it well. <laughs> and it was great. But I play it. I have um, I play it in my reception room here because I put them on a flash drive and then just put them on the computer. And then patients will sit here and watch. They'll they'll watch these things, because the bottom line is here you got. Lauren Cordain talking about the paleo, and you know, you're eating good meat, and you're having you're loaded with vegetables, you're pulling out the legumes, there's yeah. no grains. Yeah. And then Joel Furman on the other side is like, there's no meat, it's all plant-based, yeah. there are grains included, right? Yeah. So what's the bottom line? You know, what, do, what should we eat? And the bottom line is, is, as human beings, we've adapted to many different types of diets, yeah. just not the Western diet. Right. Just so, not the Western diet. So you want to get patients off the Western diet, um, as Michael Pollan said in his book, In, in Defense of Food. Right. Okay. So, I, you know, I, as long as the quality of the food is really good. You have some flexibility um, there. Do you, I mean, what about lectins? I mean, what's your position? Do you think it's appropriate to remove them for some people? For patients that have a lot of gastrointestinal issues and we want to put them into like a FODMAP or we, at least we can entertain the FODMAP, yes. then we can pull, we can pull the, those out for a period of time. Yeah. 
I got it. You know, I definitely soy is out. Soy is like a food uh, that we don't have patients consume unless they're really good and they can guarantee that the soy is organic. But 90% of all soy in the United States is genetically modified soy, which right. is a different creature. Right. And so we really want to stay away from genetically modified foods. They're not benign by any means. So I want to ask you just one more question here um, as we... Only one, only one more? Well, it may segue. You never know. That's basically how our conversation has gone today. It's been very enjoyable, and you've let, you've given a lot of pearls. I appreciate that. I've taken quite a bit of notes. But anyway, I want to talk about... Um, I know that you're private labeling some products, and you're actually doing a really nice job with it, and you've mentioned some... You know some compounds you're you're using like the proline rich polypeptides and colostrum and so forth. But I would talk. I mean, I just want to hear about about going private label and um, well, you know, you like I, I am sorry that I didn't do it sooner. I always said, well, why would I private label when you know patients are really looking for these top quality nutrients and and uh, but the bottom line is is that your patients are coming to you. They they believe in you. They trust you and they like that you have your own private label. It's really been a, a great, great um, thing that I did. So I, right now I have, probably have about 25 uh, products of my own private label with another, probably another 20 of things that I really would like to add as well, too. Yeah. Um, I think it's a really great, great move. If you're a healthcare provider, uh, you create your own brand. And we all know these days of the Internet that, you know, your patients met, you come in one time, uh, two times, but you know maybe then you don't have something in stock, and they'll go um, go on Amazon or they'll go look online, and it, it's very tough to, for the nutritional companies to police everything on the internet. And so, you know, if you're providing all this information for your patients, you would appreciate if they do purchase your nutrients from you. I mean, this is how you are making a living; and it is your business. Um, so, I think that, that serves a, a very good purpose. It's um, uh, unique formulas uh, that you like to use that you should private label. And it keeps your, your customers loyal to you. We did create a loyalty program, and um, patients, we use a, a program called ShopKeep, mm-hmm. and the patients are able to download a, an app onto their phone called AppCard, and they can keep a log of their reward points so that they stay true to you. Jeez, that's pretty neat. And so we, I'm, with this podcast, we'll list your, um, we'll put your website up there, obviously. We'll give people um, info on obtaining, well, it's easy. It's at Amazon, Natural Cures for Dummies. In fact, it's one of the best sellers, I think, in the naturopathy category. You said it's, it's number one. It blows me away. When yeah. I saw best seller on there, I fell out of my chair. Yeah, that's really cool, Scott. I just, I'm so happy for you. But this, this, some of this information regarding the app and, and maybe even checking your private label stuff out, is that at your website? Um. The private label products are on the website. We just actually just switched over our, our website to um, another company from Yahoo. Um, so we have a lot more flexibility. And we did add uh, all the private label products are, are up there with a nice description of each one. Oh, good. And all it's right. nice when I see, you know, patients from all around the country that, you know, that I've had dealing with, you know, ordering my private label product. Okay. So in, that information will be available when we release this podcast um, again, Dr. Banks, a pleasure to talk to you. It was very fun to spend some time with you out in Austin. And um, his book is Natural Cures for Dummies, published by Wiley, just out this year. And I think that most clinicians will absolutely love it. It's, it's a treasure. You cover so many things. Plus, we can also comfortably recommend it to our patients. There's a very hardline functional approach to this book, um, and it will resonate with you. So thanks again, Dr. 
for joining us. Dr. Fitzgerald, thanks so much for having me on your podcast. Really appreciate it. You're welcome.